Hey, hey, it's the big one zero episode number 10. I don't I know why I did that. It's not even a big enough number. We've only been doing this for 10 episodes. But yeah, we have been doing this for 10 episodes. I think that warrants some celebration. Pat on your back. Pat on your <laughs> back too. <laughs> yeah. It's still sinking in that we've recorded 10 episodes, actually 11. But yeah, this is episode 10 official. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but we did end up releasing episode zero. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Counting that, it's episode 11. But no, it's episode 10. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we messed up that way. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. So we are in a pretty fun mood. And I think a lot of that owes to the conversation that we just had. We chatted with Johannes Grossman. Yeah, Who oh. is Johann Grossman or Han Grossman? Sorry. Depending on how good your German is. So if you've heard bands like Blotted Science, Necrophagist, Alkaloid, Obscura. Obscura. Yeah. You've probably heard him play the drums for that band. Let me add a few other names. Tripticon, Hate Eternal. Yeah, dude. And the list goes on. I mean, the guy boasts a CV that probably looks way better than most <laughs> musicians, man. And he's played in so many bands. Yeah, it's almost Gene Hoagland-esque. It's only that Gene Hoagland has been doing this for far longer than he has. He's only 36. Yeah. and Not Gene Hoagland, by the way. That's <laughs> Johan. Johan is 36. Yeah. It was, it was such a good chat. I mean... And it's such a different chat because we didn't mainly talk about his bands that he performed in, but we talked about his solo release that he put out last month. And and we also talked about his life as a session musician, which means that he's a gun for hire. And I could totally relate with him to that on a personal level. So there's a lot of non-musical stuff, but just fun, entertaining stuff that we bonded a bit about. I think he enjoyed the conversation too. Yeah. That we bonded a bit about. So, enough about that lovely introduction. Let's dive right into that interview. And now joining us from Nuremberg, Germany, is drummer extraordinaire Hans Grossman. Hans, Hans up. How are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Great to be here. Uh, we're glad you could take time out and come out on our show. Uh, just to start off with, congratulations uh, on the release of your album, Apophina. I hope I got that correct. Apophenia, right? Yeah. Apophenia, yeah, that's correct. How's the response been? Are you happy with it? Uh, the response has, has been thoroughly positive. Um, really, really few criticism, which makes me wonder, did I do it right? <laughs> because, you know, usually... Usually, I think it's not too bad if, if certain people, um, you know, have a different opinion on it. But it seems to be like the general um, vibe is really, really positive. People that, um, especially that liked my other two albums, are very um, seem to be very psyched about it. So I'm really happy about that. Um, so here at Hans Up, we believe that the past is as important as the present, and of course, the future. So let's just take a step back and go back to your roots. Uh, while we were doing research, we saw your bio and it reads that you come from a musical family and started playing the piano at age eight and picked up the drums at the tender age of 10. So we wanted to know, what led to you picking up the drums? Um, actually, I was at a friend of mine um, at his house and we were, you know, we were little kids and playing and he owned a drum set and he was getting drum lessons and I sat down and just you know fooled around with with the instrument and I I fell in love with it I thought it's it's amazing it's the most amazing most interesting thing I've ever seen and uh, from that day on I I wanted to play the drums and you know we're getting on my nerves on the nerves of my parents for like a year uh, to <laughs> finally get me a drum set and then I could start. Uh, it was totally different than with piano. Because with, for piano, my parents thought it's, it's, it's good that, you know, children get formal musical education. And it is, I agree with it. It helped me a lot in hindsight. But it wasn't 
I wasn't falling in love with that instrument. I liked the sound of the piano, but playing it was not so much fun, especially um, in the classical training. So do you remember the first time someone asked you to play softer or not as loud? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it still happens to this day. <laughs> but um, yeah, working with metal uh, guys and working in, with metal music, most of the time it's, it's fine the way I play. But in general, now I can control it much better than when I was younger. When I was younger, I had to learn to to step back a little and not play as loud as I can and developing the technique that allows me to. Uh, but um, yeah, in general, I don't I don't really remember when I gotten this request the first time, but it I think it came pretty soon after picking up the, the instrument. And it, it could probably be your neighbors, I'm sure. Um, no, they were fine with it, actually, I have to say. That means you have good neighbors. Yeah, I was in the basement and um, there wasn't so much noise. Um, actually, everybody went to work. When I was still coming from school, they were still at work and nobody was in the house. So it's fine. Now that you're still at your formative years, what kind of, what is the first like extreme metal band that you heard or what got you into extreme metal? That's a good question. I think well, friends of mine were listening to more extreme metal, and I didn't honestly didn't really like it. I was more into uh, 60s, 70s music, and then uh, prog rock, and maybe some metal like Iron Maiden, and I liked Rush mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but I was not particularly um, interested in the most extreme stuff, especially because of the vocals, because I, I didn't didn't get it. And I have to say, um, when I was 16, the first ba- real band I played in, they were playing death metal. Um, and I was more interested to play with with other musicians that had ambition rather than for the music. But when I learned their material, I had to figure out that it's quite challenging to play and um, that you can basically more or less do whatever you want um, in certain frames. So if, if you want to play a really, really busy drum line and um, compose that for the song, that's fine. Whereas in, well, let's say, more normal music and uh, normal rock music, um, you have to stick to a certain beat. You don't necessarily have to do that with death metal. And uh, what I found immediately interesting is the fact that there are so many, that I saw so many things to this relatively new genre that weren't done so far that you could still achieve and make create something new because I had the feeling that rock and pop music is pretty much set in stone and uh, you really have to leave that field in order to to create something new and I think the first band that uh, taught me that you can achieve uh, musically interesting songs and and be quite technical was actually Cannibal Corpse I think Ooh, wow. Okay. okay. This is the first time we've kind of heard something like this. Yeah, because usually people just go and say like, yeah, it was Metallica that influenced me or Iron Maiden that I first heard or Maximum yeah. Slayer. Absolutely. Now those bands, but I don't consider them as extreme bands. Uh, they're a little step, you know, they're more metal than, or they're a little harder, a little heavier than, than hard rock or than, you know, heavier rock music. Uh, which I was listening to anyways. Like if you have Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin, which I loved when I was a kid, and and still still I'm into these bands. Going from that to Iron Maiden, that's not a far stretch. It's just a little bit, a little bit uh, more metal, I guess. <laughs> um, but if you go from from Deep Purple to Cannibal Corpse, that's quite a stretch. And I of course I had to. First, I was into Judas Priest and Maiden and all the old school bands, and then eventually I I found some some interesting musically interesting bands in in the more extreme metal genre. So, just a follow up question to that: uh, What kind of attracted you to Cannibal Corpse? Was it the extreme music, the imagery, or the sheer technicality yeah. of the music that you were hearing? I would say it was not so much the imagery um, and not so much that it, it's extreme. Of course, I 
yeah, I was even though when I was a kid and listening to the Beatles, I was always more interested in a song like Helder Skelder than, for instance, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps. I always say this example, so people who don't have no clue about metal can actually understand where I'm coming from. I was always into the more wild stuff, anyways, and it was maybe just a matter of time. Right. But I. Th- um, back then, in the, in the 90s, I, I think a lot of death metal was still formulating and was um, difficult to, to, to find music that on a um, scale. Because in regular um, rock music, you know, you had guys like Stephen Vai and <laughs> on the guitar and, and Frank Zappa and these people like, that took music to uh, tech, not necessarily technically, but in a musical sense to new levels. And and in death metal, it was first all about being extreme and being aggressive and all of that. And then I, th- I thought, like, that's fine, but I thought it's easy to achieve that by just making noise for the sake of it. And um, that, uh, of course, has a value. But then what's the next thing? What do you go from, from there? When you have band, extreme bands like Napalm Death or something that m- made um, heavy music and extreme music and be extreme and make noisy music, have blast fields, all, all of that. So where do you go from there musically? And I thought like Cannibal Cops was the first band that grabbed my attention because everything was, uh, everything sounded really precisely and clean and um, also technical and it was musically interesting was different from from the other metal that i knew because everything mm. was so well structured and every uh, all the riffs were so clearly audible and it it had this brutality but in a in a way where they were communicating hey we know what we're doing it's not just the yeah. sake of noise and being extreme we actually know how to how to express that on a higher higher musical level and um then i got into other bands and um appreciated um, that aspect more. Um, but okay. yeah, there was kind of a gateway band in, in some sense. That's that's lovely. That'll that'll really give some credence to uh, the Cannibal Corpse fans that are in India. Anyways, now you're known to the metal community thanks to your fabulous work with uh, Necrophagist and then Obscura, Blotted Science, and a countless other bands. Um, how would you define each of them in one word? So we'll name the band, and can we have you define them in one word? Yeah, do you want to try that? <laughs> okay, I'm not really good at that. <laughs> keeping things. Let's try. Let, let's let's try keeping it to a sentence at least. Come on. Let's okay, try. Yeah. Okay. So going one by one. Okay. First up, necrophagist. Um, a game changer. Right. Uh, obscura. Formulating my own voice as a composer. Blotted science. Fun. Alkaloid. All of these things. Triptychon. Privilege, I would say. It's, it's a privilege to play in that band. I think it's, it's um, yeah. Hate Eternal. Hate Eternal. Uh, also, also privilege and um, sheer musical brutality. And finally, Hans Grossman. A fun project where I don't have, like the music, my solo records, a fun project where I don't have to think much about it. It's just, you know, two metal songs for, you know, for just doing it. <laughs> Lovely. See, Lovely. that was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, that was fun also. So one of the things we'd like to talk to you more about, and especially the facet of your life where you're being a session musician. So how do you evaluate bands that ask you to play with them? And what do you look for? Um, I look, um, well, of course, first of all, for music that I find interesting. I, I don't find everything interesting. Actually, um, most of the time, if it's really, really close to what I did before, I'd rather, and if it's not the same excitement, then all the stuff that I'm most likely not going to do it. Because okay. I've done it already, and uh, you know, um, but I would say if it's if there's some kind of um, professionalism behind it, and I don't mean that people have to make this full time. It's more about 
serious now. If they really want to seriously work on something, most of the time, um, you the first impression is the right one. Most of the time, if people send me requests and it's well formulated, their request is well formulated. They have demos and they um they are serious about it. Actually, seriously um pay pay also paying my fee that I demand for recording, and um, mm -hmm. that shows me most of the time that they're serious about the outcome of that. That okay. they don't want to just you know have a drum computer and program it and uh, do it for for sheer fun but they have some ambition and i think that's um really important because i don't want to waste my time with um with stuff and it has to be worthwhile i'm doing it okay um having said that what is an ideal creative relationship or a partnership like for you um and how do you develop the same is it how different is it when you're a session musician as opposed to when you're part of a band just working with other people and when i'm part of a band of course it's way more personal i was always a band i considered myself always as a band guy and um most you know when if 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 these days it was possible to have just one band and make a living out of that i mean there you can the bands that do so first of all they're on tour all year and it's a couple of bands maybe 10 metal bands that do it full time or something like that over here in Europe, and and even even though and uh, um, when you do get paid relatively well for shows in some of the bands I play, um, to make it a, a full time only thing, then it it would require um, uh, a whole different level of doing it, and uh, I I'm afraid that it's not possible. That's why I. I I chose. Also, it's just one thing again. I, then it's just one thing that you lock into this one thing, and what if it fails? I had the. Um, of course, I committed myself to bands in the past, and somehow the relationship failed, and it, it happens with people sometimes. And uh, I wouldn't um, make a bet to put everything in in one thing anymore. Um, so that's why I'm also doing session work, and I'm also got really interested in producing and mixing and mastering so i'm more and more doing that because that's something i i really really like and i have a huge interest for and if i was on tour nine months the year i couldn't do it so i have to somehow um do everything that's possible to to make a living of that uh, what was your initial question? Because I wanted to make... <laughs> so uh, my initial question to you was, uh, considering you're a session musician and you do this um, quite a lot, how do you form an ideal creative relationship or a partnership with whoever it is that you are being a session musician for? In a band, um, for me, the, the crucial part is that it is really a band that people that are involved in it have either an equal say or at least a share of decisions of decision making and okay does it work the same way when you're a session musician when you're a session musician of course you don't have a say in most things because then it, it's somebody else's project that's maybe the reason if if somebody needs me to to shape their their vision that's great that's great to be there that's great to help help them out but if um it would be totally different if I was a member in a band and then I, I want to have some kind of impact and some part of my personality in there. Of course, I have that in session work too, but in, with session work, it's a customer relationship, more or less, at the end of the day. Because if they say, please change that part because how we initially wrote it, then I'll do it. Okay. Uh, and maybe, maybe, I always respect the songwriter, but if I... But then it's it's way more inclusive in that sense. And also in a real band, um, in a real band, not it's not. I've played in bands uh, where where it's basically a one man project with hired guns, and and that's fine if they want to do it. But then I wouldn't consider it a band, and I, I I don't for myself, even though. It might be communicated in, in that sense. So the bands that I'm in uh, are bands, real bands. And that's where I, might, where I make the distinction between. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. So it's more the thing when I offer session work, I'm offering a service. When I'm in mm -hmm. a band, I'm offering involvement, and it's a uh, it's a crucial difference. To talk to you about your sound a little bit now, it's easy for guitarists and bassists to have signature sounds because so much of their identity is associated with tones and effects. Uh, consider me a complete layman. It's not the same for drums, right? Do you agree or disagree with this? And could you help us understand how you would define your signature sound? Um, I would most mostly disagree with it. However, I have to say that these days, on metal records especially, um, people just use a lot of samples instead of real sound. And they all use the same libraries, ending up, up having the same sound. And when a drummer has, you know, back in the days where you couldn't quantize anything, drummers were mm -hmm. playing it and that was the way it was. If, if, if you know, the double ba bass, for instance, wasn't 100% tight, um, then that that's it. You know, you couldn't change it afterwards. What's recorded has been recorded. Now you have, have all these technical tricks in the studio where you can quantize a kick drum and, and do anything to that. And so the sound all depends on these things. I think the sound you do mainly come from, from your own touch. It's, for instance, if you compare it to a guitar, it's not so much the amplification on it. Um, or the gain setting. It's much more in the fingers than what you what you would think. Um, and, and that's that's more of the personality and also the note choice. So as a drummer, it's the same thing. If you have a certain way of hitting the drums, which is your own, and um, you prefer certain certain uh, techniques or um, musical figures that you like to repeat, then that's shaping your own sound and your own style. And I think it's not so much different from bass and guitar. Um, it just depends how much you stick to these formulas that you create and how much you allow yourself to be yourself. And with a lot of production these days, um, the producers don't allow bands to be themselves anymore. The, quant uh, the drummer gets quantized no matter what, and then... Um, uh, the guitarists put their stuff on quantized drums, so of course the drummer gets no, no um, chance to create his own voice in the first place because there's um, you know a superior drummer pro drum program, and that's how drums are supposed to sound these days. And I, I hate that. I hate the fact that uh, nobody's putting effort anymore um, into that to to shape a unique drum sound rather than a perfect drum sound. And um, also, um, it's not so interesting anymore in terms of performance. I think it's much more imp interesting when it's human rather than machine-like. Um, but I, I would say it's, it's, it's still possible. You just have to, to do a lot of recordings and, and kind of um, be confident and trust the way you do things and, and repeat doing them. That's, you know, and have an own vision and try to, to enforce it. I think it's very, very, very uh, similar to a guitar player. It's just most of the times guitar player write the songs and so it's easier for them to express their own style. Okay, so you didn't answer the second part of the question, which was how would you define your own signature sound? Uh, I wouldn't. I would say um, I would leave that to others to define it. Um, but I, I would say that I have a certain way of playing that um, you can hear throughout the records I've done, even though, also on the session recordings, even though um, the music might be different and what I play is different, it's still there's something in there that I can recognize. Um, what it and is that's exactly, what makes I, I, really don't, I really don't analyze these things. I, let, I, I allow to let things happen the way they happen. And I think this, um, yeah. That's something I, that I think um, more people need to do. Um, just don't um, give up. I've read this and it sounds like a really hollow phrase, but it's not. Uh, don't give up authenticity for approval. If people find it odd in the first place, well, who knows? I, I remember um, when I listened to, to Mishuka for the first time, they just came out with Destroy, Erase, Improve, and no one liked it, especially in Germany. Mm -hmm. They always mm -hmm. Everyone thought, hey, what's that? It sucks. And <laughs> look where they are now. So it's authenticity. 
Um, but then the problem was that everybody wanted to sound like that, and that is a problem. Why would you? They already exist. Why would, would you try to, to <laughs> yeah. achieve what somebody else did? I never understood that. I always, I also was, um, you know, for for the first obscure record we did, it was fine because it was our first record, but it sounded way too much like that. Yeah. In my in my opinion, and we had to come up with something something different because. Um, What's the point in copying somebody else? There's no point in it True. in the long run. So we've talked quite a bit about your art. Let's dig in a bit to Apophenia. Just looking at uh, the guest list, you've got quite a few heavyweights. You've got Jeff Loomis, Marty Friedman on there. How did you get them to perform on the album? That's the first question. And the second is, how do you... I wrote an email. <laughs> <laughs> People are not going to play on your record. How do you know without asking? You can ask them. And um... <laughs> Okay. So uh, did, you write, did you end up writing a song which you thought was perfect for him to play? Or how do you really select or hone in on a musician you'd like to collaborate with? Um, for those, especially for Jeff and Marty, um, it was solos, guest solos, and uh, the solo sections themselves, how they were written. I, of course, when I when I write a, a lead section, then I when I do a, when I write a song, I think uh, now um, it would be the perfect time for guitar solo because I like guitar solos, and and when I write the part, I always have a possible player in mind that could it for this um, and yeah with these two parts I had these two players in mind exactly and uh, that's why I asked them because right. I think um, yeah, I would never ask somebody just because he has a certain name if I don't see a musical connection to, to what someone does um, you know like the riff over which Jeff Loomis does a solo I think it's it's you know it's, it's very nevermore-ish <laughs> so I thought, yeah, he would be the perfect player to play on it. Hey, why don't I ask him? And um, that's where I come from, yes, definitely. So, so that's some great advice for everyone listening in. If you want someone to perform or a big name to perform on your album, EP, single, just email them, right? <laughs> so you're going to be receiving an email from, uh, from us now. Yeah. <laughs> we want you to record our introduction to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it this way, if you don't search the contact, it of course will never happen. That's what I'm saying. I mean, uh, given the fact that I've played with a few, um, you know, bigger bands, then it's way easier for me to achieve that than to any yeah. random guy. I agree, but still, I mean, um, still course, to me, good. Marty Friedman is one of my favorite, favorite lead guitar players. And that's why I wanted to have him on the album in the first place. I think his stuff rules. I think he's awesome. And that's, that's where I'm coming from. It's still a big thing for me that he's playing on the album. And uh, But if you don't ask, you, you get no reply, of course. Since we're still on the album, can you pick a song that you'd like our listeners to check out? And why would did you pick that song? Um, actually, I would say pick the opening track first one because it's it's quite a long track and everything um on most of my trademark that i do in this kind of style i also write in different styles of music but for this kind of music that i'm doing on my solo records um this is pretty much summing up everything that i that i do and where i will you know my key the key elements of of my music so i think that's a good um good starting point all right so let's check out the first track of the album deep
So that was deep from apophenia. Yes, I actually googled how to pronounce that properly, which is why I can pronounce it properly. Anyways, Han, I I was visiting your website and I love it, especially the part where you list your services. Um uh, here's a left field question based on what I read. Have you ever faced a project that simply takes forever as in one in which there's so much back and forth with the client that you end up with you know the meme of naming files final 1 final 2 final 3 final 4 all the way through like maybe final 975 uh well yes um well most of the time it's it's quicker than that but i had a few extended sessions of course but to me that's fine you know um that's what i offer and i think that's the big advantage uh also you know, most of the time i when i send the first demo like of a complete song then uh, people don't they listen to it and then they list the amount of changes they want to have and then i change it and then there's maybe another revision but that's most of the time that's it because i i know what they were what they what they want in the first revision usually because if they formulate if somebody uh, if i record something and i do all the all the revisions and then i do them again like then i do them again and then they the band changes its mind completely and said no we we actually change our mind we want everything completely different that's never happening you know <laughs> <laughs> what happened i'm not sure what to do actually because then i think oh they just lost their mind <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know, most of the time it's not happening i had some extended sessions where i had a, to make a, a few tries but most of the time it's pretty condensed i would say um, okay and after all i want them to be happy for for the recording and i'm quite perfectionist with these things you know um so for me that's fine i'm going back and forth okay so uh that brings me up to two questions and it it involves the area of teaching as such um first up Are there any common sense tips or lessons that you can share for that all drummers should know but are rarely mentioned in clinics or instructional videos or books? Like common sense stuff which no drummer should ideally forget but you know they're never told. Yes, uh there's one thing that comes to mind. You should always mic up your kick drum and put it on headphones. Always okay, mic okay. your and kick, why is that? kick drum and put it on your headphones because what I what I see that a lot of drummers which don't do do it they think they play tight kick drums but they don't because they cannot really hear it. Okay. Okay. Uh the second question to that was considering you do record a lot of bands what do you look out for in a band that's coming to record with you what should be the level of preparation? Well the more prepared the better <laughs> I would say um <laughs> Uh, levels of preparation. As in, do you need them to be absolutely super tight before they come into the chord? Know all their songs inside out? Because there are a lot of bands who prefer to write or jam out parts during the time of writing or during the time of recording. Yeah. Well, I have uh, I have actually facing a different problem often. Uh, these days, a lot of bands don't go to studios anymore so much. Um, they record. a lot of things at home because it's easier yeah. um than was back in the days because all you need to do is uh, record a DI track and yeah. then but then of course um they don't have the experience of a uh, of an audio engineer so then you can see that the quality they end up having is less than when they would go to a studio so most of the bands that really go to a studio to do their to do their recordings they only um focus themselves on the the actual performance not so much on the technical aspect of recording that's what you do when you engineer yourself so that's mostly the problem i have with guitarists and bassists that they engineered themselves and it's not you know not as good as it could be and then i have to repair a lot of things and Yeah. and when they come to the studio even though if they're not 100% prepared to the songs um there's ways to work around that um 
But to me, it's more important that they don't that they can focus on their on their performance only. That's really important. And I wouldn't. I would say if somebody comes unprepared into the studio, well, then it takes forever, which is annoying. And of course, they won't do their best. But most of the time, if people come to the studio and spend the money, they will be prepared. Right. That's my experience. So, um, as, right. at least well enough to to get a really good result. Um, most of the time, I have problems with people recording at home and not deliver the quality they could have when doing it professionally. Yeah, so that's some sound advice for the bands listening Yeesh, in. what a pun. <laughs> but one of the things I also found quite cool while reading the bio, your biography on your website was that you have an MBA. So how important do you feel it is for musicians in today's age to have a sound understanding of business? Um, <laughs> well, um, I guess... Well, I guess it's 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 a crucial part for for any for any um, one who offers a service to know uh, the basics of that. But you don't have to study that. It's, it's more or less common sense, I would say. But this also things you need to learn learn by doing. But um, I would say it definitely does not hurt. Um, I wouldn't even say I'm particularly good in the marketing aspect. I'm so so. Because I'm I'm more interested in the music and that's what I want to do. And uh, the less I have to spend on time on marketing and 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 do business stuff, I'm really happy to do so because I I don't. Really like it. But uh, it's necessary. It is. So what's next for you? I mean, I know you just put out uh, your third solo album, but do you have any other plans? Recording with Alkaloid. Uh, any of your other bands touring? Um, we are, um, yeah, with um, with Trepticon, we are going to perform um, on Ropeburn Festival this oh, yeah. next Friday, where we're going to film a DVD and Blu-ray of the performance. We're playing with an orchestra. Oh, and wow. wow. The next big thing, I'm very much looking forward to that. I think it's going to be fantastic. That's huge. Yeah, even yeah. We, are, we are definitely looking forward to that. On the horizon, there would, would be a, a, a real new album then. Also with, for Alkaloid, but I mean, we have loose ideas with Alkaloid of songs. But um, okay, cool. there's one thing that, that Morian, our singer, told me that he has an idea for a song with... Uh, music that's never been done before <laughs> and i and if he says so i believe that because he's a classic composer and yeah, um, I, all kinds of weird I, things and i would say um i wait for him to do a first sketch of what he has in mind and then go from there uh, i think it could be some come out really really uh, unique and I'm really surprised to hear that because after hearing your last album, I was wondering how you guys are going to top Rise of the Selfaloids. And I think you kinda have, you're on the path that way, I guess. Yeah, let's see. I mean, I've, I also have some concepts in mind, but I would rather speak about it when, once it's you know, final or once we have something final to say. But, I, but I, I'm looking forward to that. It's always uh, very challenging with Alkaloid. And um, and also interesting because that's you know um, musically the most rewarding thing for me. Um, also, I actually have, <laughs> believe it or not, um, almost enough songs to do another solo album. Um, so probably um, by end of the year, I will drop out another solo record. Oh wow! That's news. <laughs> You know, these. Uh, I have to mention that uh, the songs on Apophenia are two years old. I wrote them in 2017. And then it just took, because there was so much other stuff in between, that it took so long to finally put them out. And um, that will not happen again with this new one. Okay, so, so we are making it official. Santa, we are asking you for a new album by Christmas. And we promise we'll be good boys. That's very likely, actually. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, Han, my final question to you, or our final question to you. Have you ever played in a drum circle? A drum circle? You mean um, where people, where some, is that the thing where like one one guy or 
you have one drum and you play in a repetitive rhythm like with a yeah, lot of people yeah. yep yep i've never done it and i hate these things because it's mo most of the time it's housewives that have no rhythm or talent <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it might be you know it might be different in india because your uh, the rhythms you have in your in, in indian folk music are so complicated most um most german people wouldn't even get them in the first place but over here, it's uh, you know, it's quite horrible. Uh, so I thinks I don't like him, and I will never be part of it. <laughs> All right. All right. On that note, Han, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lovely, enjoyable conversation. It was. It was. I enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun. And especially on a Monday, so you've kind of brightened up our Mondays also. Yeah, a good start of the week. Yeah, Mondays are fine. Your life that sucks. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. All horns right. up. Horns up. Okay. Horns up. Bye bye. That was quite a fun chat, Animesh. Yeah, it was a perfect start to what is. Uh, we are recording this on a Monday, so it is a perfect start to the week. Couldn't have asked for a more enjoyable chat. It feel it felt like a good, refreshing Coca Cola, iced cold Coca Cola. Am I allowed to mention brands? Well, unless they sponsor it. Hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Now we're going to make money out of Hornsub. Pretty soon you'll see Hornsub merchandise, Hornsub website. Ten episodes ho gaye. Dekhte hain aur kya kya hota hai. Yeah, throw some bones, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Reach Pat out to us. Pa Patreon coming soon. Patreon coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're having too much fun with this. Anyways, okay, yeah. But yeah, you can reach out to us. We are on Twitter. Uh, it's at Pod. I'm Trend Crusher. And I'm Aunt Asmo Annie. And we're recording this in an office, which is why you can hear a lot of people talking in the back. But deal with it, because that's what we are doing. We'll see you next week. Next week, we've got Entombed. Yeah, I'm a huge Swedish death metal fan. So it was great just to pick the brain of one of the people that was responsible for the subgenre, if you may call it. Yeah, that basso guitar sound. We'll die. We'll actually explore that a little bit, hopefully. Yeah, and also just kind of find out as to what the hell was in the water in Sweden back then, man. Yeah, but that's for next week. Till then, horns up. Horns up. <laughs>